with me today to the book of Acts once again. We're continuing a series that we started about four weeks ago. Today I want to continue where we left off last Sunday. And last Sunday's message was the power we need. I shared last week that all of us need spiritual power that I need spiritual power. Last week, I I shared with you that the the flesh is weak. I said if there is a donut in front of me, it is hard to resist that donut. Guess what? Somebody brought me a dozen Krispy Kremes this week and put them on my desk. What is that about? (laughs) At least least I know they were listening. (laughs) But I didn't get any rocky road, so. But I want to talk to you seriously today. Our nation is in turmoil. And our nation needs to see Jesus in us. I regret that George Floyd lost his life in a horrible way. And I regret those that are rioting in our nation. I don't believe that's the answer. Church, the answer for our nation is the Christian church rising up and saying, Jesus, let me be the witness You've called me to be. Let people see Jesus in me. God's always wanted His people to be witnesses. In Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 8, the Lord said, Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it You are my witnesses. Last week we read Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come upon us, that we would be empowered to be those witnesses. Amen? And church, our nation needs to see witnesses for Jesus that are genuine evidence for a life-changing experience. That we're not someone who just talks about certain religious things or goes through certain religious motions. But we're people that have experienced the power and the presence of God where we don't do the things we used to do and we live a life that is witness to everyone that we encounter that Jesus is alive. Amen? That He makes a difference in your life when you welcome Him in. That He equips us and empowers us to live that life that He's called us to live. Well, I want us to continue today. And last week we left off with John and Peter as they were sent to Samaria to pray for those that had believed that they would be empowered by the Spirit. Today I want to look at the other three episodes in the book of Acts where people are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at a lot of Scripture today, and I never apologize for that because Paul told Timothy, preach the Word. 
I want you to have your Bible. I want you to have it on your phone or in your hand, wherever, and follow along. Because it's the Word of God that, that penetrates and changes our lives. So I want us to begin today in chapter 19, or chapter, excuse me, chapter, um, where, where am I at? Chapter 9. Chapter 9, that's where we're going in Acts. And while you're going there, we're going to look at Saul of Tarsus, Saul who became Paul. Paul who was very instrumental in giving us the Word of God. Let's look at his encounter. I love this story. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Now, breathing in here indicates that this had become a characteristic, that it was something continuous, that Paul created an atmosphere that was against the Christians, that was a threatening atmosphere and an atmosphere of murder. Now look at verse 2. And ask letters from him, the high priest, to the synagogues of Damascus. Now Damascus was the oldest and most important city in Syria. It's mentioned three different times in Acts. So that if he found any who were of the way, that's what the Christians were called at this time. That was an expression used for the Christians. Whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he, as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Now in Acts chapter 26, verse 13, it, says, it shows us that this light continued to shine and that it was brighter than the noonday sun. Verse 4, Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there's a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. I want to stop right there. That should always be our answer. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for the one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel." 
I want to stop there for a moment. Ananias had heard about Saul. He knew that he was creating that atmosphere of threats against the Christians and even murdering them. And he was sent with papers, authority, to bind any Christians. And yet Jesus was telling him to go and lay hands on Paul. Then look at this. What did God say to him in verse 15? Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles. Church, don't think that Paul was a chosen vessel any more than you are a chosen vessel in Jesus Christ. God has a plan. God has a purpose for each and every one of us. Sometimes we read passages like that and we think, well, that was the Apostle Paul. I mean, wow. Of course, God chose him and used him mightily. He spoke about Jesus in front of a a king. He he spoke about Jesus in front of the Jewish people and the Gentiles. He, He had this authority. Church, God has called every one of us as his chosen vessels to speak to those who are in authority over us of what God did in our lives. Whether it's a king, whether it's It's those that we encounter in the grocery store, wherever we go. God has called us to be those chosen vessels that He uses to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now verse 16 says, For I will show Him how many things He must suffer for My name's sake. We like to blot that out of the Bible. We don't like to think about us having to suffer for the name of Jesus or for Jesus' sake. But church, as a disciple that follows Jesus, we have to be ready. There will be times when we are persecuted. There will be times when we struggle, that the enemy comes against us and we struggle. We may sorrow. We may experience pain. We may experience difficult things. But church, greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. It is a privilege to suffer for Jesus. Next time somebody speaks something evil about you, or next time somebody stabs you in the back, let let me tell you, you don't feel like rejoicing. And guess what? You get upset. But Jesus said we're going to suffer. And He has everything that we need that we can suffer for Him and come through and be that witness. In verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me, sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Two things. God wanted Saul healed And he wanted him empowered by the Spirit so that Paul could be that witness, could accomplish God's plan for his life in the fullness of God's strength. Immediately, there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he rose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. There's a couple of things I want us to see in this counter. Church, one of the things as a parent, 
I've always prayed for my children is that they would have a road of Damascus experience. As a a pastor, my prayer is that you would have a road of Damascus experience. Where Jesus' presence and power and glory is manifested in such a way that you can't help but simply say, Lord Jesus, what do you want? I surrender to you. I'm here. When when our kids have a road of Damascus experience, and and that's why I love camp, because camp many times is it's just a great time for God to move. The kids aren't you know, tempted with the things in the world. Their their focus isn't in other places. Their focus is coming together with other peers and they're pressing towards Jesus. They're desiring what God has for them. And in that atmosphere of surrender and hunger for the things of God, God meets them there and He overwhelms them with His presence, with His love, with His grace, with whatever they need. And their lives are forever changed. Let me tell you, church, Just like Paul or Saul at this time. When you have a road of Damascus experience, your life will never ever be the same. And you won't turn. You won't go back. You won't give up. You will continue and say, no matter what, I'm suffering for Jesus. I've had an encounter with the true and the living God. My life has been forever changed. No matter what I go through, what trial, what tribulation... I worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Whatever He wants for my life, I surrender it all to Him. Church, I want everybody that walks through the doors to have an experience like that. Amen? A road of Damascus experience where they'll never doubt. Not just a religious experience. Not just knowing the Word of God. Not just attending church but having a genuine, powerful encounter with Jesus. Amen? Now in this study of Saul, I want you to notice verse 6. It says that Saul called Jesus Lord. He calls Him Lord. I believe that at that moment when he saw Jesus in all of His glory, that Paul became born again. Because it's interesting that Ananias, if you look at what he said, he said in verse 13, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done. And yet the Lord tells him to go in verse 15 that he's a chosen vessel. Then Ananias went his way and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, listen to this, Brother Saul. If Saul was not born again, he would not be calling him brother because he knew that he had been consenting to the death of Christians, wanting to gather them up, wanting to put them in prison, wanting to see them murdered for their faith. But yet Ananias was convinced after his encounter with God that Saul was now a brother. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Church, we want to be a witness like Paul. Amen? 
I pray that all the time. Lord, I want that same presence, that same power that was upon Peter and upon Paul. Lord, help me to be that kind of witness where I'm bold with my faith, where I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Church, our nation needs it. Our community needs it. There were those that were having protests here, and I'm thankful I don't think anything violent took place. But the enemy is trying to tear our nation apart. And church, we need a move of God. I want to look at another account in Acts chapter 10. This is the story of Cornelius. It says in chapter 10 verse 1, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. Now listen to this. This is God describing him. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. He was a devout man. He was a God-fearer. And the phrase here in the original language for a God-fearer, or a, a person that feared God, doesn't mean that he was a Jewish proselyte. It doesn't mean that he, he had been circumcised or that he had gone through the Jewish law, that he was even attending a synagogue. But it does mean that he was a worshiper and a believer in Yahweh, in the God of the Jews. But yet he had, he had experienced something through reading the, the scrolls or through experiencing the presence of God in some way that he realized that he needed to honor God and he needed to have a relationship with God. He respected God. He was devout in his faith. And he put his faith in action. He put his faith in action. He was giving alms to people and he was a man of prayer. So I want us to see what happens in this story. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but... Look at chapter, or chapter 10, verse 3 now. About the ninth hour, which would have been about 3 p.m., it was an hour of prayer for the Jewish people. About the ninth hour of the day when he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Notice the Lord did not send the angel to share the gospel. Turn to somebody and tell them the angel didn't share the gospel. But he gave him this vision and told Cornelius that he was to send for Peter. And Peter was going to come, and Peter was going to share the gospel. Amen? It's the church's responsibility to share the gospel. It's our responsibility. God could send angels. He could have millions and millions of angels descend in this world right now and begin to share the gospel. He didn't choose to do that. God chose to use you and to use me as that vessel. In verse 4, he says, And when he observed him, he was afraid and said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. God sees 
our sincerity, our, our, our works. We're not saved by our works, church, but God sees them. They're memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon. Now look what happened. Let's jump down to, to verse 9 in chapter 10. At this time, Peter, it says, The next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up to the household to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and an object like a, a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again. God knew that Peter was going to struggle with what God was going to have him do. So he gave them this vision three times. Why? Because God had told His people not to intermarry. Not to associate with Gentiles, which would be non-believers. It wasn't a race thing. It was a morality thing. God wanted to protect His people. And every time that His people would go and intermarry, they would bring those other gods, those idols, into the Jewish camp. And so God was protecting His people. But by this time, it had become more than that. It had become a prejudice in the heart of the Jewish people. They didn't associate. It wasn't right. They didn't want to have anything to do. Those people were unclean. And that's what Peter's experienced in this passage. Now look at verse 17. Now while Peter wondered within him, in himself what this vision which he had seen meant, both the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. Is that a coincidence? Or is that God moving all the pieces at the same time? Verse 19, While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Notice, God didn't tell Peter while he was going. He trusted God. And he went. The Holy Spirit was dealing with him and beginning to show him what this vision meant. Now look at what happens in verse 28 when Peter arrives at Cornelius' house. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But listen to this. God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. It's awful quiet. 
God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? He still didn't know why he was sent there. But God showed him. And church, this is how you deal with racism. You have an encounter with the true and the living God and he, like Peter, says, don't call anybody common or unclean. Amen? The answer for our nation isn't going to be more laws. It's not going to be different programs. The answer for our nation, church, is when God's people say, Lord, empower me to be the witness wherever I am. Let me love them like Jesus would love them. No matter what nationality they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what color of their skin, let me love them like Jesus would love them. They are not uncommon. They are not unclean. They're not common. Amen? If we really want to do something about racism, in the, in the, in, in, it's even in the church. I've encountered it in the church since I was a little boy. In Texas. And I've never understood it. I went to school and I played basketball and I had friends that were different from me and I loved them. They were, they were my buddies. You know, it didn't matter. But it's something that God worked in my heart. And church, God has to work that in the heart of our nation. And so we need to say, Lord, empower me to be that witness that I can love Everybody like Jesus would love them. Amen? How many have ever experienced prejudice? Most of us have. And, and it, it, it can happen within any of us if we're not surrendered to the Spirit of God, welcoming Him to empower us to love one another. Look at verse 45. Now, God knew that Peter and his Jewish companions would have a difficult time with this. That they would just be shocked that God was going to save someone other than the Jewish people. That He was welcoming all nations to come in and be a part of what God had planned. And especially that God would empower them just like they had experienced in the upper room. But look at verse 45. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out in the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Now this is the only place in Scripture that we find God in doing a different order. Normally, a person would be saved, then they would be prayed for, or asked for the Holy Spirit to 
to, to, to be poured out and equip them and empower them. And, and Well, they would be saved and then they would be baptized in water and then they would be baptized in the Spirit. That's normally how we see it in Acts. But church, God will not be put in a box. Don't try to put God in a box. And God w- was showing them, Peter and those guys were prejudiced. God was dealing with that prejudice, prejudice in their lives. And so he says, I'm going to show you guys, they're just like you. I love them just like I love you. I want to strengthen them and empower them just like I have you. And so God, as they begin to open up and they receive Christ, he pours his spirit out upon them even before they're baptized in water. Isn't that awesome? And so Peter goes, how can we deny it? We see the evidence they experienced exactly what we have. I love that. I want us to look at one more account. Turn to Acts chapter 19, and let's look at the account of the Ephesians. Verse 1 says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. I want us to notice a couple things in Paul here and what he said, what was taking place. He finds some disciples. And one of the first questions he asked them is, Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, since you believed. If Paul and the early church put such an emphasis in Christians being, we talked about it last week, the word endued out of Luke means to be clothed with. Clothed with power. If the early church saw such a need that one of the first things they, they came and they just asked, you know, hey, you guys believers? You disciples? Hey, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? It was something on the heart of Paul. It was something on the heart of the early church because they understood there was persecution. They understood that there were going to be difficult things that people were going to have to endure as Christians. And so they wanted everyone to know, you can be empowered by God. He will clothe you in the Holy Spirit power to give you everything that you need to be the witness He's called you to be. Look at verse 3. And He said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then he said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So Paul begins to preach to them and teach them. Then verse 5 says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That was water baptism. Then look at verse 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So the infilling of the Spirit happened 
in these believers' lives, after they had accepted Christ, they had been taught by Paul and they received. It's interesting also that before this encounter, they didn't know a lot about Jesus, just what John had taught them. He is the one that they needed to believe on, that they needed to have a baptism of repentance. And Paul's telling them you need to be baptized in God's power, clothed in His presence. And I want to end with one more passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 5. Paul's speaking to the Corinthian church and he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness. Listen to this. Paul saying, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Does that sound like, church, what we experience when, we, when we're struggling to witness? What hinders us from witnessing for Jesus? It's fear. We're afraid. We're afraid at what somebody will think. We're afraid that they will not, won't like me anymore or think I'm a nut or a kook or I'm, on a, I'm a Bible thumper or one of those holy rollers or I swing from the chandeliers and jump pews. So fear hinders us. It's real. Paul said, I came to you and I was fearful. I was afraid. I was trembling. But look at verse 4. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Ever since God called me in the ministry years ago when I was a young man, I've held tight to that verse because I knew I didn't have what it would take. I said, Jesus, why would anyone want to listen to me? Who am I, Lord? Lord, I don't have great wisdom. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I'm not eloquent. I'm not a wordsmith. I'm not an orator. He's saying, I'm not coming with all of this wisdom on my own. He's saying, but in Christ and in Christ's power. And I came because I didn't want you to have faith in me as some kind of educated man, as some kind of uh, person who was a great speaker. But I came in the demonstration of of God's Spirit and God's power. And church, that's exactly how God wants you to be seen in this world. And our world needs it. Whether you're on the job, whether you're at home, you know, church, I learned a long time ago that I can't be the witness that God wants me to be as a husband without a lot of help from the Holy Spirit. 
Stop laughing. I can't be the employer or the employee that is a witness on my own. It's got to be God's presence. To be clothed in Him. To be empowered by Him. And church, the Lord just laid this on my heart that as we're going forward. God's moving in our church. He's stirring our church. He's stirring the hearts of people. And God knows we need a revival in our nation. And I want to ask you, are you willing to be one that says, Lord, I don't come in my own wisdom, my own education, my, my own eloquent speech, but Lord, wherever I go, I want people to witness the presence and the power of God in my life and know that You are real, that You transform my heart, that You transform my life, that I'm not the same anymore. That's how we deal with racism. When the church loves everybody like Jesus loves them. And we tell people that Jesus transformed my heart. He's transformed my life. And He will transform your heart and life. Just open your life to Him. Amen. I want to ask the worship team to come and I'm going to read one more scripture. In the parable of the vine dresser, Jesus in John chapter 15 verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Did you hear that? Without Jesus, I can't be a pastor. I can't be a dad. I can't be a husband. I can't work at a job. I can't do anything to the extent that Jesus wants it done without Him. And I'm going to ask our prayer team to gather around the back of the auditorium and some in the front here. And I just want to, before we go today and we close, I want to ask you, do you want to stand in the gap for our nation and make a difference? Do you want to stand in the gap and for our community and make a difference? I want to make a difference. I don't want my grandkids growing up in a nation that's becoming darker and darker and darker. I want them to experience a genuine move of God. Where His presence is so sweet, so wonderful, that people don't want to get up and leave the auditorium. They just want to wait on the Lord. And let him love on them. I want to see people coming in that are hurt and broken. 
and walking out whole. I want people who are struggling physically. A dear friend of mine informed me recently, he's about my age, dear friend of mine, that he had cancer, third stage cancer. And I've been praying for him but to just a miraculous recovery that God would be glorified. I pray for people to come into our church and just the presence of God during our worship. You wonder why Mitch in the worship team, many times they stop leading in a certain song and, and just kind of play through the chords. It's so that we can enter in to free worship where, where our mind is just focused on Jesus and we just begin to praise Him. And Lord just gives us a song sometimes, just words that come out of our heart. And they're not words that anybody else is singing, but it's our personal praise and worship to the Lord. We just begin to express our own worship. Lord, I love You. I praise You. Lord, I give You glory. Hallelujah. So when, when Mitch feels led to enter into that time, church, don't just stand there and say, what is he doing? Why aren't there words on the screen for me to follow? Say, this is my time, Jesus, to tell you my heart. Tell you what. Much I love you. How thankful I am that you died on the cross for me. I'm thankful, Lord, that I'm one of your children and you'll never leave me and never forsake me. I'm thankful, Lord, that you love me with an everlasting, overwhelming love. Lord, that you'll clothe me with your power. Lord, you'll clothe me with your spirit that I can be the witness you want me to be. I want you to stand with me, and if you have a prayer need today, I want to invite you just to come to one of the prayer teams. As the worship team leads us. And tonight, tonight on Sunday night, it's our prayer focus. And tonight, we're going to be praying, focusing on Lord, clothe us in your spirit to be the witness as you want us to be. So if you want to come tonight and join in that, I want to encourage you to do that. But if you have any need this morning, especially if you've never committed your heart to Jesus, will you come and find one of our prayer team today? Will you pray with them and accept Christ into your life and welcome Him to be your Lord, to be your Savior. Or if you have a financial need, we care about that. God cares about that. There's a lot of people out of work, a lot of people struggling financially, and we want to be there for you and, and help you. And We want to agree with you in prayer. If you have an emotional need, something turmoil is going on in your life, and you just need the Lord to bring His peace, whatever your need is today, bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Him you do that. Mitch, would you lead us?